you have found yourself at the Hurt Take. I am your host, Reese Dobigan. You are back for another week off the map for one more round. I am here sitting on my stool, getting ready to go, getting some advice from my corner. I want to thank you for returning. This is the MMA podcast for the fans by the fans. Ain't not the public broadcaster production. So hey, listen. Hashtag, maybe you heard, Conor McGregor is fighting Floyd Mayweather. He is going to be in your headlines for the next month. Get over it. It's inevitable. Conor McGregor in your headlines right now is like death and taxes. Right now, he's either beefing with Draymond Green, training with Polly Magali Nagy, or hiring pro refs to learn the rules of boxing. This will never end. Until August 26th, you are going to hear his name every single day. Live with it. Enjoy it. For the most part, it will be entertaining. But that's not what you're here for, right? We can't talk about Conor McGregor every week. We had some fights this weekend, so let's talk about those. UFC Fight Night Long Island. Good card, top to bottom. You know, the UFC's, uh, they're getting some production out of their, out of their cards lately, I have to say. There were some standout performances. Definitely some standout performances. Very impressed. From the, t- from the bottom of the card to the top. For one, how about former had a cup of tea in the CFL, Eric Anders, former Alabama Crimson Tide linebacker, looked really explosive and took a really impressive scalp in Rafael Natal. You know, guys like Anders are sort of an example of what we could look forward to if more high-quality athletes decide, you know, maybe not football. Maybe MMA. It's possible. It probably will never happen because of the pay scale, but it's possible. Anders showed just what you have a guy with that kind of, that level of athleticism. Boy, they can do some things. That was real impressive. I, I was, I was real impressed with that fight. He looked good. Looked real good. Patrick Cummins won his fight against Jean Vellante. You wouldn't know it if you looked at the pictures afterwards, but he did. Swollen purple eye, busted up, but he managed to pull it out. And I kind of agreed with him. I think he landed some pretty quality shots. But those aren't the fights we're going to talk about. I'm going to touch first on Cowboy Oliveira. Ooh, his win over Ryan LaFlair. Man, he looked good. You know, Oliveira showed some great takedown defense against a guy who's, you know, a grappler by trade. 
you know, when he hit the mat, he scrambled nicely. Uh, he would have had an arm bar, but he was kind of too close to the cage and wasn't really able to extend. You know, he's he's so explosive, a scrambler, once you hit the mat. Like, all the flair could do was essentially hold him down. You heard Dominic Cruz is saying he was basically playing position over submission. Like, what choice did he have? Every time he gave Oliveira a little bit of daylight, Oliveira was trying to explode up off the mat, and he almost did a couple times. Once back on the feet, it was a totally different game. Totally different game. Uh, boy, that finish, the counter uppercut was beautiful. I've said it once, I've said it before. It's all about the highlights. So that's as important as anything for your resume. You you put together a nice highlight reel finish, package those together, UFC's got some built-in marketing material for you. That is a highlight uppercut. Ooh. You know, the uppercut's a great tool against guys who are takedown artists, guys who like to level change, guys who like to rush in from a distance. You know, he used it perfectly. It was real slick. Meanwhile, our fight of the card, Jimmy Rivera and Tomas Almeida. Wow, that was a fight. Maybe not necessarily for the average entertainment-only kind of fan. Like, if you were looking for some high-action stuff, it might not have been your kind of fight. But I tell you what, both of those guys looked real good. Real good, for completely different reasons. Jimmy Rivera may have pulled out the win, and I think that, that he definitely was the winner of that fight. But Almeida looked good. He looked really crisp, really sharp. You know, the, the thing about Almeida that's going to bite him throughout his career is that he's always there to be hit. And he's and he's very hittable early. And Rivera showed that. Rivera put him on his butt a couple times. Uh, man, Rivera's counter-striking looked good. Real good, real good. Some analysts say that Rivera is a rare breed. He's a he's kind of a counter striker first, which is pretty rare. You don't normally have guys who stylistically are, are counter strikers through and through. He but he's kind of a counter striker and the best kind of counter striker, not a pot shotter, not like a um, Nelson. All of a sudden, he just fought the other weekend. What am I? What am I saying? Reggie Nelson, Rory Nelson. Jimmy Nelson, the Icelander. I just drew a total blank. Nelson from Iceland. Whatever the hell his name is. He's a pot shotter. Anderson Silva, pot shot counter striker. Jimmy Rivera is not a pot shot counter striker. He throws combos. He would bite down, sit down on his haunches, and throw combos, multiples. You know? And he was very smart late in the late in the fight, in that third round when it was kind of you know not sure maybe he was dead even. What did he do? He went for the takedowns. I thought he started to fade a little bit. I thought Almeida kind of came on strong near the end, but Rivera did too much in the first and second round that you really couldn't take it away from him. But both of these guys look good. Both of these guys have long, uh, long careers ahead of them. They're both gonna hover around the top five. I think Rivera legitimately is a champ is, is championship material. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, he called out Dominic Cruz, and that was a great exchange, by the way. If you were watching the broadcast, he called him out. And then 
as he was walking by the cage, he said to Cruz, according to Cruz, he said, hey, sorry, it's nothing but respect, but I had to call you out. And Cruz said, yeah, you should respect me. Love that bit. Cruz, always good for a sound bite. But it'll be interesting to see how Rivera holds up against those, those guys stylistically. The Cruzes and the Dillashaws. I think Garbrandt is, has more similarities to Almeida. So you never know. But looking forward to seeing those guys fight again. Meanwhile, in the headliner, the hometown kid from Long Island, Chris Weidman. His family was in attendance. Have you ever seen a father so proud? Man, has anyone ever needed a win like Chris Weidman needed a win this weekend? Gah. Three consecutive losses after being champ? I mean, that's a hard, that's a tough skid. And I think maybe this win revealed a, a few things. You know, it revealed for one, not all losses are created equal. Or, you know, Peyton Manning once said, every interception has a story. It's the same thing in combat sports. Every loss has a story. Not every loss is created equal. A loss on a, on a you know, quantitatively, losses are created equal. It's, a, it's an L on your sheet. It's a one in one column or the other. But the story of every loss is kind of different. Some losses might mean more to the direction a guy's career is going than others. The reality is, Chris Weidman lost to Luke Rockhold, Yoel Romero, and Gigar Mousasi, three top five middleweights in the world, period. He lost to Luke Rockhold, who, in my opinion, is still the best middleweight, despite the fact that his last fight was a loss, hasn't fought in a while. I think he's the most talented and the best middleweight in that division when he's on. He lost to Yoel Romero, who, I mean, is blessed by powers higher than us to be the most amazing athlete alive. And Romero had to catch him with the most explosive sudden counters you've ever seen in your life, a flying knee. Granted, Weidman was diving in from long range on those takedowns and, you know, was definitely, um, you know, showing those things. And, and Romero read it and got him. But, man, you're not going to see guys finish fights like that that often. And he and, and Weidman was winning and heading into that. And then the Musasi caught him with that knee. Controversy. I mean, he was playing the game. But those lo those are losses, fair and square. But those aren't like your average loss. The worrying thing about him was that he faded in all three fights. He got tired. That was the thing about those losses that was truly worrying. Not that he lost. It was kind of the way that he lost was that he started to fade and get tired. And, and you know, hey, some people have speculated. The two guys since USADA came in who have dropped off a cliff were Johnny Hendricks and Chris Weidman. There's speculation there, but they have not been the same fighters since. In this fight... Chris Weidman did not look like he got tired. He really got to the grind and started wrestling with Gastelum, used his length perfectly, and he, and he earned that win. He earned that win. Uh, you know, Gastelum came out and said that if he had about another 30 seconds, he would in that first round he would have won. I, I have to agree with him, but, it, you know, 
he didn't have an extra 30 seconds. Weidman made it out of the round and then submitted him in the next. Um, you got to think that that Weidman's, you know, I mean, the way he's been managing his career, just, just jumping in every shark tank he possibly can, he's going to look for another top five fight. He called out Michael Bisbang. That's fine. I still think that maybe he should take another fringe top five guy before this. But that's just me. What does this say about Kelvin Gastelum? I think what it reveals is that we need a 178 and a half pound division. Gastelum would be the king of that division, but he's just a he's just undersized. He is a small middleweight, and it showed. You know, his game is great. Um but listen, I mean, the Luke Rockholds and the Yoel Romeros of the world and the Chris Weidmans, those really big, all those guys have games that can, they can beat him, keep him at distance, wrestle him. So I think that it, this revealed that there is a limitation on Gastelum. And he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. He's never going to be able to consistently make 170. And he is undersized at 185. So I think that he is the future champ of the 178 and a half pound division. Let's do it. What would that be? Cruiser? Cruiser weight? No. Super, super welterweight? Fuck it. I don't know. He'd be the champ in that division. Great main card. Real good to see Wyman get back on the, on the winning track. We'll see where they both go from here, but it was a hell of a fight. Now, this weekend, UFC 214 from the Honda Center in Anaheim, California. I am salivating for this card. Oh, man. Hashtag, maybe you've heard that Daniel Cormier and John Jones do not like each other. That alone sells this card for me. But then it is a stacked card. Three title fights with Chris Cyborg, Justino, against Tanya Evinger. Evinger's a replacement for Megan Anderson, but... Hey, you got to give it to her. Few people are stepping up to fight Cyborg. She's into it. She's going to give her a good contest. I'm looking forward to it. I expect Cyborg to win, but there you go. Cyborg and new featherweight champion of the world, a title she should have had for the last you know, three months or whatever it is since, since the UFC inexplicably started a division for her. And then didn't put her in the first title fight. But hey, whatever. Elsewhere on the card, Ricardo Lamas versus Jason Knight. Jason Knight. That boy is ascending. Mississippi boy. On the ascension. Very excited to see what he can do against a top contender like Ricardo Lamas. Lamas is like the consummate gamer opportunist through and through. He doesn't seem to do anything that great. He's really well-rounded. But he has... He has a trait you can't teach. He knows how to take advantage of opportunities and, and the gaps and the windows and, you know. The path to victory lies not in your hands, but in the hands of your enemy. Ricardo Lamas, I think he listens to that. Elsewhere on the card, you have Brian Ortega, very exciting fighter. 
slick off his back. Great submission guy, trains with the Gracies out there in California. He's been on the Ascension. Very excited to see what he can do. Then you got Rehenen Barau versus Aljamain Sterling, the Funk Master. Two guys, quite honestly, been no man's land. Aljamain Sterling has not developed a stand-up game that has really excited anyone, considering how great he is as a grappler. You know, some people, I thought for a while that he was going to be in title contention by this time at least, but not. Hendon Burrell, a guy aimless, guy sort of without a division. Now he's dropped back down to fight at 135. Who knows what he's doing? Who knows what he's thinking? But hey, I was a big fan. I, I'd love to see him get up back on the fast track. But I also want to see Aljamain Sterling be a contender. So if I'm biased, I wouldn't mind seeing Aljamain take this fight. Now, all those fights are great. All those fights are, are wonderful. But the fight that we're here to see, people, is Donald Cerrone versus Robbie Lawler. I mean, this, this is a gift. This is like waking up on your eighth birthday and your parents got you the Red Ranger action figure with the Transformer gun, and you are like, my life could not get any better. I could have lived eight years, die today, and I will be happy. It's that good. And yes, that was a Christmas for me. I was a Power Rangers kid. So what? So were you. Don't lie you're around the same age as me Robbie Lawler and Donald Cerrone are MMA gifts they're just perfect they are everything that you like about this sport they're tough they're they're aggressive they come to fight every time they have a great game a great makeup a great uh, perspective on the game. This is going to be everything. This fight is going to be awesome. First, you got Donald Cerrone, MMA's Cal Ripken Jr. This guy has an astounding 24 UFC fights in six years. That's an average of a fight every 98 days. Could you imagine getting hit by a car every three months? That's what this guy does. You know, that the sight of that scowling Donald Cerrone, stalking forward, sharp knees, lancing kicks. He, he's the MMA version of McDonald's. He's the brand of reliability. He always shows up to fight. The, the knock against Cerrone, of course, has always been... Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. He, when he finds himself uh, a step close to gold, that's when Cer Cerrone's liability, or um, li liability, that's when Cerrone, his reliability falters. You know, the cowboy's been bucked from his horse on three significant occasions. He lost a crucial fight to Nate Diaz in 2011. 
ended a, a pretty big run streak where he was getting into title contention. He lost a lightweight title match against Rafael Dos Anjos in 2015. And he just recently had a run at welterweight snapped earlier this year to Jorge Masvidal. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. But that's part of the reason that we love Donald Cerrone. He never dwells on those losses. He gets back up on the saddle. He gets back up on that horse and just starts riding again. You know, he's got such inspirational fights. He fought, he, he defeated Benson Henderson five days after beating Miles Jury. He fought twice in two weeks. You know, or even just recreating himself at welterweight. That was a great story. Donald Cerrone has never been one to let anything slow him down. And that's why we love him. Then you got Robbie Lawler. He is the MMA equivalent of James Braddock, the Cinderella man. He debuted in the UFC at 19 years old. And he was hugely promising. An aggressive, thunderous right hand, dogged aggression. You know, MMA fans, we saw this future. He was that future of the sport. Then he lost three of four. The UFC dropped him, and he was like a boat on open water without a rudder. You know, he, he wallowed in the regional circuit for nine years. He lost five of eight in strike force, fighting up in weight against guys like Jacare Souza, Tim Kennedy, and Melvin Manhoef. Those are big-ass boys! But then Lawler came back to the UFC in 2013, and, you know, no one really cared. It was kind of like a nostalgia trip. I was like, all right, well, he's, he's back. I mean, this is exciting. For And then he just crunched Josh Koscheck. And then his next fight, he just crunched Bobby Volker. And it was like, oh my God, Robbie Lawler is back. He'd win the UFC welterweight title against Johnny Hendricks. And then he'd have that war with Rory McDonald. I mean, and the sight of Robbie Lawler with that split lip just roaring in victory is iconic. It sums up everything about MMA, the good and the bad and the, the, the visceral aspect, the reality of it. The triumph, the the obstacles these guys have to face, the pain and the suffering, the blood and the sweat and the tears, everything. That image, that's what MMA is. That's what Robbie Lawler represents. And now we're going to have these two guys fighting each other. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I want it to happen tomorrow. We're still four days away, and I'll tell you what. They better get. They better make it to the weigh-in. They better both make weight, and they better both make it to Saturday and actually fight. Because if this thing doesn't happen, I'm gonna burn this mother down. Now maybe the headliner won't be as amazing as this, but John Jones versus Daniel Cormier. You know, for a romantic. This, to me, 
is is the perfect MMA rivalry, the perfect representation of the gray area of this sport. This sport is not black and white. There is no good. There's no bad guys. There's no... These guys are human through and through. And they're two humans who hate each other. I mean, just check out that most recent recent interview. Brian Stan interviewed them, UFC Fight Night Long Island. They, the UFC clearly had to snip that thing to pieces because of whatever the hell these two were saying to each other on a cable broadcast. Before the interview was even over, Jones took off the headpiece, got up, and left. These guys do not like each other. And I... I think it's great. It encapsulates what's so amazingly complex about this sport. You know, you got Connor and Floyd. They talk smack and they say terrible, offensive things. But they're selling a fight, so it's... It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right when they're using those that kind of language and, and then the slurs sometimes they use. It doesn't feel right. They're selling a fight. But when Daniel Cormier and John Jones talk about each other the way they talk about each other... It's genuine. There's real animosity there. These guys really do not like each other. And they're so complex that it makes this all the more fascinating. DC has an incredible personal backstory and has achieved so much as a decorated Olympian. He started in MMA late. And he might be a top, top 10 fighter ever. But the only man... Who has ever beat him, the guy who defines his legacy is John Jones. And Jones is a top talent ever, period. And has a personality at times that, that's very warm and charismatic, but his personal life is just, in recent years, has been chaotic. I mean, you look at this guy and he's got kids, but he's not married, and but he regularly parties and does drugs. Carries around wads of cash in his glove box. I mean, these two guys are just, they're human beings. And they're two human beings who simply want to beat the shit out of each other. It's not a show. This is not a reality TV show. This is truly gripping, dramatic story. You know, the matchup itself is fascinating. What they bring to the table, what they're each good at. You know, Jones's win over Cormier was a, an absolute clinic in clinch fighting, hand fighting, grappling up against the cage. I mean, he rewrote the way that MMA, the way we understand how those things are applied. He rewrote them. People are borrowing techniques like that for how to fight up against the cage, I mean, that, that's why John Jones is truly incredible. Meanwhile, DC just mows down everybody else you put in front of him. I'm so excited for this fight. Oh. And it's interesting. The next contender may be on this card. Maybe it's Jimmy Manoa or Ozamandias. I don't know. The bad guy from Watchmen. Ozamandias. I don't know how to pronounce his name. But like what? Either one of those guys is going to be a threat? Especially if John Jones. If John Jones wins, he's back. And if he's back, 
Who's going to beat John Jones? Right? Who's going to beat John Jones? Not Jimmy Manoa. Not Ozymandias. Like, either one of those guys is a threat. Something inside me feels like if John Jones wins, Anthony Johnson is going to declare on Twitter that he's coming back. Unretiring. Who knows? I mean, Jones will be the king of the weakest division in the sport. And I can't wait. I can't wait. This is going to be a hell of a card. Hell of a card. Very, very excited. So I want to thank you for coming back, for listening to The Hurt Take. I hope you will be watching on Saturday. I know I will. Give me a follow on Twitter. At rdobe. R-D-O-W-B Read some of my stuff on Not the Public Broadcaster Download the show on iTunes Give me some love, people This has been the MMA Podcast By the fans, for the fans I have been your host, Reese Dobkin And I am out